great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah, praise the one who sent me. 
children, and their children, and their children, may His favor be upon you in a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children, may His favor be upon you in a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children, may His favor be upon you in a thousand generations. Thank you so much for being here with us today online. My name is Mary Banning, and I work here with our 180 student ministry. We would love to invite you to check in with us this morning. You can do that two ways. The first way is to find our check-in link in the description of this video. The second way is to pull out your phone and to use our Union Chapel app. I also want to share with you before we jump into the rest of our service about some resources that our ministries are offering through our website. After service, you're welcome to go and check out unionchapel.com slash events to find out what we have to offer. For our ministry, my team and I have been planning and promoting things on Instagram and Facebook. You can check that out by searching 180.live. Kenzie has been working hard to plan and promote things for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students. You can find that information on the Facebook page by searching 456 at UC. Alexa is leading the way for your K through third grade students by also posting things on their Facebook page. You can search Kids at UC on Facebook. 
And finally, our Connections team and Pastor Jeff is working so hard to plan and prepare new content for you and your small groups. You can find that information on our website as well. If you've been able to continue to give, we are so appreciative of that. It allows us to continue to do what we love to do and to share Jesus' truth, especially during this time. We encourage you to continue giving faithfully. You can do this one of three ways. First, you can check out the link in the description and follow that. Second, you can give using our Union Chapel app. And third, you can send your check through the mail. Before we start worshiping again, let me just pray for us and we'll jump back in. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time to come together and to know you more. God, I pray that you would just speak through Pastor Greg, that you would give him the words that we need to hear today, God, and that we would be open to what you're trying to say to us. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to protect our church and protect our community during this time and through this pandemic, God. I pray that you would just push away the lies and the fear and that we would cling to you. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We love you so much, and it's in your wonderful, awesome name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Greg here. Welcome to Union Chapel. Welcome to Palm Sunday. So glad you've joined us. Happy to have you with us today. Hope you're doing okay. We've been praying for you and trusting that you're doing well. And let me just remind you of something. You know, Jesus reminded us that, that anytime we assemble together, he's with us. We don't, have to be, we don't have to be all congregated in one place at one time in order for us to be together. We're together online. We have been for these weeks. And he is with us. Let me just remind you of something. The church isn't a building. It's not a place. It's not a physical place. The church is people, the community of believers. And, and it doesn't matter where we are. Uh, we are the church. We are the people of God. And God is with us and working through us. So you be encouraged to know that. You know, a virus can't stop the church. Some geopolitical something can't stop the church. Persecution can't stop the church. Not even the gates of hell can stop the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church. We continue to be the church. And we will always be God's people doing God's mission. And so be encouraged. Uh, we're together in this. And God is with us. So I hope that that encourages you and reminds you that that, that all the mission of the church goes forward. Thank you for your faithfulness to continue to give, giving online and supporting the mission and for supporting your neighbor, loving the people around you well and making an honorable witness for Christ in these uh, very challenging times. Uh, we have been in a series th this uh, season of Lent on recognizing what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, through the passion We've been talking about the events leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. And of course, today, Palm Sunday, we continue the series. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. I'm going to read for us verses 27 through 56. We'll project the words, of course, but you may want to turn there in your Bibles. So I invite you to stand, as is our custom here at Union Chapel, to hear God's word. Today's message, punished for me. Again, Matthew 27, and I will begin at verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. 
They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they cried. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. May God enlighten, encourage, refresh, and renew our faith through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Uh, has there ever been an event that you and someone else interpreted completely differently? I mean, you had, had the same experience, totally different interpretation. Heard this story once. Uh, four people sitting across from each other in a small stall on a train. Uh, on one side was a college basketball player and his coach. On the other side, facing, was a beautiful young college-age woman and her grandmother. The college-age woman and the basketball player were obviously hitting it off because they were giving these little flirtatious glances to each other and so forth. After some time, the train went into a tunnel, and for just a few seconds, it was totally dark in the train. And in those few seconds, there were two distinct sounds. <laughs> One sound was the smack of a kiss, and the other was the slap on a face. Lights came back on. They're back in the light. The girl thinks, I sure am glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandma hadn't slapped him. The grandma thinks, I can't believe he had the audacity to kiss her, and I'm glad she slapped him. The coach, who's now rubbing his face, thinks, I can certainly understand why he kissed her, but I think the girl smacked the wrong guy. And the basketball player thinks, awesome, I got to kiss that girl and slap my coach at the same time. <laughs> I was just laughing with you, laughing with you. Today we're going to walk through this event 
of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which has been interpreted in as many divergent ways as anything in all of human history. Very few people, think about this, very few people debate whether Jesus died. Just, firstly, everyone who has a capacity for critical thinking and simple evaluation would acknowledge that Jesus Christ actually suffered and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. The question isn't whether Jesus died. The question is, why? Why did he die? And we want to dive into that today. Gandhi, for example, wrote in his autobiography in 1894, I can accept Jesus as a martyr. His death on the cross was certainly a good example, but that there was anything else to his suffering like dying as a substitute for sinners, this my heart can never accept. New Testament scholar and agnostic uh, atheist Bart Ehrman asked the question of what would make him believe. And he said, had Jesus fulfilled his promise to bring peace on earth, he would believe. But instead he died, which represented the failure of his mission, according to Ehrman. Richard Dawk Dawkins, who's of course a notable atheist, calls the Christian understanding of the cross divine child abuse. If that's true, you know, why would God send his own son to die in such a gruesome way? Of course, many people are not this openly hostile toward the faith, but I've heard a number of people say things like, God, you know, I can understand the need for him, but I don't get what the big deal is about Jesus. Well, let's consider what the big deal is. That's what we're going to press in today. We're going to ask the question, why did it happen? Why did Jesus die? Why did he suffer on that cross? And we'll see how the responses of different people surrounding the events give us a picture, perhaps, of how we should respond to what Jesus did. We have many people who have written and considered the whole technical, physical process of crucifixion. Even the American Medical uh, Journal has written about the crucifixion, the process of flogging, this cat of nine tails. Uh, this sh short whip called a flagrum, um, several braided leather thongs with small iron balls and splinters of sheep bone knotted at various intervals. This, uh, this application would have the victim stripped of their clothes and then stretched out off of a pole so their skin was tight and more easily lacerated. Two soldiers usually involved, one on either side and in intervals hitting the hitting the victim, the condemned, lacerating not just the skin and subcutaneous layers, but also then getting into the skeletal muscle. And, and as we reported last week from the writings of Cicero, actually fragments of ribs and, and maybe partial disembowelment could occur because of the severity of this flogging. Uh, the crossbeam that Jesus carried to Golgotha was a very heavy piece of wood, maybe up to 200 pounds. Um, the crossbeam itself would have been recycled, meaning that it still reeked with the gore of previous victims. Uh, the victims paraded through the streets, jeering crowds, soldiers in front and behind. Uh, one of the Gospels report that Jesus was so weakened from the beating that he could no longer with his physical strength to carry this cross beam. And so a man was pressed into action. His name was Simon. He was from Cyrene. Uh, Matthew actually mentioned his name and we wonder why. Uh, why is his name mentioned? And the answer probably is because uh, mentioning his name is like a first century footnote. When the gospel was first written, all of these primary characters are still living for the most part. And so living people could, could actually go ask these eyewitnesses if this account that they're reading about is actually true. The gospel of Mark takes it a step further and actually indicates that Simon was the father of a, of a boy named Rufus. And so we have the son's name. Um, and evidently Rufus's name meant something to the readers and interesting enough, you might check this out, in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul greets 
a man named Rufus by name, of course, and scholars think that there's really good reason to believe that this is the same Rufus. And the implication there is clear that now Matthew mentions his name, Mark mentions his name, and then Paul again in the book of Romans. And so Rufus was a guy who was alive at, at the subsequent time of these writings and could have been asked, hey, Rufus, seriously, was your dad there? Did he actually carry the cross of Jesus? And Rufus goes and said, yeah, it's true. My dad actually helped him up the hill with that. It's really something. He's offered wine mixed with vinegar, gall, popular narcotic of the day, a painkiller. Jesus refused it. Some speculate that the reason Jesus refuses it is not merely because of its taste, but that Jesus doesn't want to have the painkiller, that he wants to drink to the dregs of the wrath of God and the punishment for our sins. It is a, it's another symbol of his commitment, his determination to do such a sacrificial thing. By the way, the value you place on something is shown by what you'll give, give up for it. The value of something is shown by what you're willing to give up for it. Jesus was willing to give up everything because he valued you at such a high level. Verse 35 of our text says, then they crucified him. One scholar explained that this is how crucified work. Uh, crucifixion is designed to keep the victim as long, alive as long as possible without sending them into shock. So it involved dizziness and cramping and thirst and sleeplessness, hunger, traumatic fever, humiliation, piercing wounds, of course, ripped tendons, cycles of pain, up and down, up and down. Speculation is that the victim would have to push themselves, pull themselves up in order to exhale, that the stretched out condition would paralyze the diaphragm. You could take air in, but you couldn't exhale the air. And so in order to do so and breathe comfortably, you would have to get in a different position than the one that is stretched out hour after hour, up and down. Most speculate that the victim would eventually give up and therefore die of suffocation. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But we get an idea then of what Jesus was referring to the night of the Last Supper when he took bread and he broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Took the cup, raised it. This is my blood, which is spilled out for you as a sacrifice for sin. Makes poignant, doesn't it? The sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So this was the cup of God's wrath taken upon Jesus, taken upon his person, his body, his psyche, taken upon himself on our behalf. He was wounded for our transgressions, the Bible teaches, our small acts of rebellion, our little lies, our refusal to let him be in charge, refusal to let him be the center, to, to steal some of his glory for ourselves. He was bruised for our iniquities, the Bible says. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him by the stripes on his back, we are healed. People say, well, this is really moving, but what would his suffering have to do with my sin? Well, at the cross, you see, God absorbed the sting of sin and took the wrath, the devastation that was caused to us. That's why right before he died, Matthew tells us that Jesus utters some words from the cross. One thing he said was it is finished. Just before he died, it is finished. The Greek term that Matthew uses here is actually a, a term that's, that's used in the day on tax retreat, uh, receipts, indicating that the debt was paid, you know, paid in full. It is finished. It is accomplished. We also know that the veil of the temple was torn in two, and this was a, uh, a four-inch thick curtain. It was called the paraket. It was the dividing wall, if you will, in the, in the temple between the holy place and the holy of holies, a place that only the high priest could enter on rare occasions. And it was very sacred. This is, uh, this is where the presence of God would dwell. And this veil of separation kept people on the outer court from getting to the very holy presence of God. 
but symbolically, you can see the, in, the inference here that at the death of Jesus, this veil is torn top to bottom. And the torn body of Jesus now makes, makes ready for us free entrance into the very presence and grace of God. Amazing. He was cursed for your sin, the Bible says. Humiliated, accused, condemned, defiled, beaten, abandoned, killed instead of me instead of me instead of you i love the great hymn it says lifted up was he to die it is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted high hallelujah what a savior amen 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 true forgiveness is always costly isn't it if you've been offended you have to you have to give up some of yourself to forgive. It's costly. It's always costly to extend the grace of forgiveness. And by the way, what Jesus said on the cross as he died was the opposite of what most of us do in response to our offenses. For example, we think about the Buddha. Uh, this faith has been prominent in our world for centuries. Buddha's last words, maybe you've not heard them, were strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. Here's what Jesus says. I did the striving for you. I did the striving for you. So salvation is a free gift to all who put their trust in Jesus. John 3, 16, perhaps the most popular verse, well-known verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whosoever believes, there's the key. Whosoever believes, the gospel in four words, Jesus in my place. Jesus didn't merely die for us. He died instead of us. The gospel in three words, instead of me. Would you say that with me? Say it out loud, no matter where you are. I challenge you to say it, instead of me. Say it, instead of me. That's what he did. So that's what happened. Now, not everyone saw it the same way. So what I wanna do today is rehearse these four characters who were present at the cross and their interpretation of the cross. See if we can identify with some of these people. First, and this is on your outline, was the suffering criminals who raged against God. Verse 38, um, which we skipped reading earlier, tells us about these two criminals. According to Luke, uh, one of these criminals eventually comes around. But in the meantime, they are both hurling insults at Jesus. If you really are who you say you are, make this pain stop. Get us down from here. Save us from this. Uh, and by the way, when you're in pain, you can almost understand their, their response. Nothing makes you matter than the idea of a God who could relieve that pain and doesn't. And so these guys are saying, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're this guy, if you're this God, then get us out of this mess. Every one of us has raged against God in moments like that, haven't we? Disappointed that God hasn't come through. Disappointed that he hasn't answered our prayer the way we wanted. Disappointed that he hasn't delivered, saved, healed the loved one for whom we prayed. God, if you are, why don't you fix this? Or maybe you're not real at all. Yeah. But one of them finally came around. In fact, he, he shows us, he models for us what repentance looks like. Finally, one of these thieves comes to his senses by saying, you know, the suffering that we are undergoing, we deserve. We're actually guilty of what we're being executed for. And, and so this is the, the confession of a person who finds repentance and faith. He says, look, our suffering is deserved. We're dying. He didn't deserve this. What's happening to him has, has not been earned by his behaviors. And, and so one of, the, one of the thieves says, Please uh, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says to me today, you'll be with me in my kingdom. Amazing, yeah. So all of us have two choices when pain and suffering comes our way. One is that we can conclude that pain means Jesus really isn't who he says he is, lacks the power to do anything about it. Jesus, if you're really God's, save yourself and us. Or you can take that position and curse God. Or you can look at the cross and say, wow, he really does care. I mean, look, he's dying. He understands suffering. He understands the pain. He's willing to endure it himself. 
I love the statement from Michael Green. I want to put this on the screen for you so you can really get it. He's a Christian philosopher from Cambridge. And he said, the God of the gospel is the only God that doesn't simply offer platitudes and perspective about pain or say merely, here's an explanation for your pain. He's a God that came down and shared in the forsakenness that we feel in a universe gone wrong. He's the only God that did that. Is that helpful? It's really helpful. So, so we, have, we have these common criminals. We have these common sinners who, who are perceiving this crucifixion from a different perspective. Here's, here's, an, here's another, another uh, entity at the, at the crucifixion, number two on your outline, and that is creation, creation itself, quaking under the weight of glory that's being displayed. So verse 51 from our text tells us that when Jesus died, it's accompanied by an earthquake. Now, what's going on here? Here's what we know. Something quakes when it encounters a force it can't withstand. It'll make it quake. So if, I, if I'm in an, in an older home with wooden floors and I start jumping up and down on these wooden floors and there's a ladybug, you know, close by, this ladybug is going to feel the tremor of this aged floor under the weight of my body. If, I, if I'm walking out on, a, on the ice on a really shallow pond and the ice isn't sufficient enough to hold my weight, it will begin to crack and crumble under the weight. It's in, it's in the presence of a weight it cannot support. Now think of that. Here we have the creation itself unable to stay still under the weight of the glory that's being displayed. Jesus dies and the earth can't, can't support the weight of the potency and the substance and the significance of the moment, the glory of God displayed in the moment. And so the earth shakes when it encounters a force it can't withstand. Yeah. So God who created everything, the God who created you, the God who bore your sin and died in your place. These are things that you can't look at and just simply pass on and pass by. You have to stop and ask, was that true? I mean, something that can shake the earth, shake the world under its forcefulness, you have to pause and actually ask the question, is there validity to that? Is that true? And is that relevant to my life? Does it matter? You got to consider it. And, and if you're a believer, if you're already a believer, listen, do you understand how insulting it must be to God when we assemble for worship, whether online or when we're all assembled in the building here and we hear about these things and we find ourselves unmoved by them to sing about them and so many just barely moving their lips, our hands in our pockets or holding cups of coffee, expressionless faces. When the king of glory has given his life and it shook up the earth, shook up the world, in its potency and power, gosh, those things demand a response. And this is my favorite part. I love this one. Jesus' death was so amazing that some of the dead couldn't even control themselves. Watch this. They leapt out of the graves. They're dancing and singing. Holy people who, who are dead in their graves come out of their graves. Jesus dies. They wake up. I'm not even sure they know what's happened. They come stumbling out, walk back into town. People say, what's going on? I imagine, Grandma, what are you doing here? Aunt Mabel, what's happened? I mean, it's just shocking. It's unbelievable. Shouldn't we almost involuntarily leap with worship and joy, thanksgiving and praise at the thought that Jesus has died for us? Yeah, the creation itself quaked under the glory revealed. Here's a, here's a third group. Maybe you can identify with this group. These are the outsiders. The outsiders who recognize he's doing this for them. Yeah. Verse 46 from our text, when Jesus called out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Some said he's calling for Elijah. These are a bunch of, these are a bunch of people who are totally clueless, 
clueless. Eli, Eli, just sounds like Elijah. But he's not calling for Elijah. The question that needs to be asked here is why is it that the only people around the cross who actually get it, who actually get what is happening, are those people whom the Jews considered outsiders? Folks outside of the family, outside of the community, outside of the people on the right side of the argument. People outside of the Jewish faith. The only people who get it, who are assembled at the cross that day, first of all, are second-rate soldier, Gentile Roman soldiers, and the other are a bunch of women who are at a distance, you know, seen as second class. These are outsiders. The disciples don't get it. The chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they don't get it. They're hurling insults. But one of the Roman soldiers, when Jesus died and felt the earthquake, was sobered, shocked, terrorized by the whole thing. He stops and he says, surely this was the son of God. You know, you're going to be able to meet him someday. You're going to be able to talk to him. Because he got it. He understood what was happening. This must have been the son of God. Amazing. Amazing. Now, now. Why is it that the Roman soldiers could get it and other second-class citizens could get it at the time? And the people who should know what's going on don't have a clue, disciples and religious leaders. It's because the gospel, hear me now, the gospel can only be seen. It can only be understood. It can only be realized from a posture of humility. You have to hear this from a posture of humility. Only those who are weak, who recognize their need for Jesus, can actually comprehend the gospel. That's why you've heard me say many times, the greatest need that we have in our lives is the need to know our need. The need to know our desperation. The need to know our hopeless estate without Christ. And, and, and so those who are more likely to perceive him lean into his grace from a position of humility much better than those who are proud and feel no need for him. Let me just summarize in this sentence. Grace only flows downhill. Grace only flows downhill. Unless you lower yourself, grace will not flow to you. Unless you humble yourself, grace will not find you. Unless you, unless you recognize your need, and humble yourself before that great need. Grace will not move to you. If you were rich, if you were powerful, if you grew up religious, just fair warning, beware. You might assent to the truths about Jesus, but your soul may never have been really gripped by your true need for grace. Heads up, heads up. First one down wins. Grace only flows downhill. It is hard for a rich person, a religious person, more difficult for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for such a person to get into the kingdom of heaven. So outsiders are always welcome. In fact, outsiders are usually the first to comprehend and understand the wonderful gift being offered to them. Last, last person that you might identify with. Number four, and that is Simon, Simon of Cyrene, who helps carry the cross. Now follow this. I wanted our time by returning to Simon. You know, this was a terrible event. I mean, trying to comprehend actually in the moment, being there, being present, the Lord of life, being marched to Golgotha, carrying this crossbeam, collapsing under its weight. I mean, it's not a place you'd want to be. Who would want to see that? But if you had to be there, if you had to be there, if you found yourself there like Simon did, isn't this the role you would want to play to help Jesus carry his cross? I mean, I mean if you had to be there, what an amazing moment. What an opportunity for you to help Jesus. 
I think Matthew puts this picture in there because he wants to give us the picture of what the church, followers of Jesus, is willing to do. And what we, what we do do and what we're going to do, that we're willing to pick up the cross of Jesus and carry it. I mean, it's the right thing to do. It's the thing you'd wanna do. It's the thing we're called to do. And so we identify with Simon. It's true that in one sense, Jesus' work is finished, but listen, not everyone has heard this good news. Not everyone has heard the gospel. That's why Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation famously said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no, ever, no one ever heard about it. Yeah. And the only way they can hear about it is if we preach it to them. And the only way we can preach it to them is if we embrace the sacrifices required to get it to them. So you carry the cross when you decide to, to pick up from Muncie, Indiana and move to Kazakhstan, Central Asia, which numbers of our people have done over the years. And you, you carry the cross and you go those thousands of miles and you do that in order that others might know this wonderful joy and hope that we have found in Christ. So you have to carry the cross. There has to be self-sacrifice. There has to be commitment to that. There has to be a willingness to, to sacrifice whatever it takes to offer this hope to people around you. It happens right here in our own community who have never heard about the hope found in Christ. As you embrace something that's uncomfortable, that represents sacrifice so that they can hear. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just a little bit too, too harsh about this, but I just need to say I'm sick. I'm sick in hear, hearing about people, people who, exa for example, have la left the pastoral ministry. On one hand, I understand, I sympathize, I almost empathize with them about that, you know, because it's hard and it's difficult. But, but when you hear people say, well, I'm just not fulfilled or, or it's, it's too difficult to try to, try, to try to lead the people of God like that. I just can't take the suffering anymore. I just, I get tired of that. I don't want to hear that anymore. I kind of get sick of that. I, I, the same thing happens to me when, when people in our own congregation, our own community who draw the line and say, look, here's opportunity to serve. Here's a place to volunteer. Here's a place where you can make a difference in people's lives. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in our children's ministry, and we need volunteers there and in other parts of the church. And, and, and for people just to say, you know, look, I, I don't mind showing up once in a while. I don't mean to mind tuning in and enjoying the music and listen to an occasional good sermon, that sort of thing. But don't ask me to actually do anything. Simon helped Jesus carry his cross and we too are called to take up our cross, the cross of Christ and carry it and carry it. You carry the cross when you take the step of reaching out to someone, braving the awkwardness of the conversation in order to tell them about the hope you found in Christ. You carry the cross when you willingly undergo a sacrifice of any kind so that someone can hear this glorious good news. You carry the cross when you forgive someone, let them taste of the grace that you have received. See, the crucified Savior has released a greater power in us and through us and into the world than all of the armies could ever amass and we're willing to pick up the cross so others can experience it. Well, do you identify with any of these characters around the cross? Could we pause now at the end as we've done in each of these messages in the series to contemplate our connection with some of these characters? Make the adjustments, make the decisions, take the next steps in our journey to make Jesus first and foremost in our lives. It's all about him. Our hope rests in him and our gratitude is extended toward him for the amazing sacrifice he's made on our behalf. Would you bow your heads with me now and close your eyes? Let's be in a moment of reflection and prayer. Maybe you're a person listening in today and you identify with the criminals You admit that you've been angry, resentful toward God because of the pain perhaps that you've experienced in your life, consequences of poor choices. Maybe you identify with this one thief on the cross who came to his senses and realized, look, what's happening to me is my own darn fault. 
And this man's offered me hope. So he repented of his sins. He turned to Jesus. He said, remember me. I deserve what I'm getting. You don't. So when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. Maybe you, maybe you feel like one of the outsiders, always excluded, never in the inner circle, never in the in group. Perhaps you felt outside of a meaningful faith because of that in your life, and you just always have felt left out and excluded. But today you've realized that the only people who really understand what Jesus has done are the outsiders. People have been pushed away. Perhaps today for the first time you're feeling God include you, invite you, reaching out his arms to you. Maybe like the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross, you're ready to say today, surely this is the son of God. For the rest of us, maybe we identify with Simon. He's the one who picked up the cross of Jesus and carried it to his everlasting honor. And maybe you're ready to say, I'm ready to carry the cross. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I gladly will pick it up. Let me ask you, are you ready to do that? I want to give you a chance to do that today, if you never have. So Lord Jesus, I pray for all my friends today that you would touch their lives and encourage their hearts. That you would put faith where there's been fear. That you would put hope where there's been doubt. I pray for the common sinner today, the person far from you, just like the thief who hung on the cross next to you. Friend, pray this prayer out loud after me. Say these words out loud. God will hear you right after me. Gracious God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to know you. I want to live for you. Remember me in your kingdom. And maybe you're an outsider and you just have never taken the step to say, I recognize Jesus now as my savior. Pray this prayer. Lord, I've been on the outside. Now I want to be on the inside. I've not been in the family, but today I want to join the family. Thank you for loving me, accepting me, forgiving me. Now, could I speak to the Christians within the sound of my voice? Are you ready to carry the cross? Are you ready to say yes to whatever Jesus calls you to? I mean, imagine yourself on the, on the, on the road of tears, the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, the way of the cross. Imagine yourself there. Jesus no longer able to carry his cross and now they look to you. Are you willing to take it up? Are you willing to carry the cross? Lord Jesus, for the first time, I say yes to the high call of bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we do that today as you give us grace. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. We owe everything to you. So we give our lives to you. In your holy name we pray. And all the people said, amen and amen.
Friends, now let me pronounce a benediction today, offer this blessing, but I encourage you to remember that Jesus Christ is alive and well, that the church is alive and his spirit is active among us and in us. He's with you today. He is gracing your life, your home, your business, your place with his presence. And we trust that as we dismiss the service today that you'll receive his blessing and that you will enjoy his presence and experience his peace. Would you receive the blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Be at peace, friends. Today, tomorrow, the days to come, forevermore at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.